you know who the singer and songwriter Marvin Gaye was? He rose to stardom in the 1960s, and after two divorces and many personal troubles, Marvin seemed to be on the brink of a significant comeback. But on April 1st, 1984, just one day before his 45th birthday, Marvin Gaye was shot and killed by his father in the 1905 Tudor-style mansion they shared in Los Angeles, California. It was one of the most shocking moments in music and entertainment history. But what happened between father and son that day? Welcome to Nightmare Houses. In an area known as Kinney Heights, a subdistrict in the historic West Adams District of Los Angeles, sits a Tudor-style home with the address of 2101 South Gramercy Place. This neighborhood was conceived around 1900 by renowned real estate developer Abbott Kinney, for whom the neighborhood is named. The first residents of this neighborhood were primarily white upper-class families, like doctors and lawyers. It was a desirable neighborhood, and downtown Los Angeles was accessible via streetcar. Many of the homes in this neighborhood were elegant and meticulous, and often featured craftsmen, Tudor, and other popular architectural styles of the early 20th century. Built in 1905, reportedly by architect Sumner Hunt, the most prominent features of 2101 South Gramercy are the dominant symmetrical front-facing second-story gables slightly overhanging from the first story and multi-layered roofline. The front-facing gables are half-timber-framed with off-white stucco and half-timbering in a grid-like pattern. Each upper-story gable has a double-hung, multi-paned upper window. Between the two front gables are two narrow, multi-paned, sliding rectangular windows connecting the sides of the house. These similar windows are between two layered, lower-pitched roof lines and above the primary entryway into the dwelling. The first story consists of a stacked red brick pattern and a recessed covered entryway. There's a sizable protruding bay window on the first floor on the right-hand side of the entry, breaking the symmetry from the upper story. The 6,552-square-foot home sits behind a gate on nearly half an acre. A brick post with iridescent light fixtures with a hipped copper cap frames the entryway onto the property. There is a separate five-car garage and a small cottage on the property as well. Many trees and large stone decor landscape the Tudor-style home. The interior has two staircases, decorative and detailed woodworking, built-ins, marble and tiled fireplaces, and decorative glass light fixtures. There are 12 rooms, a servant's quarter, and a recreation room. Dr. Cummins Butterfield Jones was the first to settle in 2101 Gramercy. Jones was born on May 19, 1849, in Ohio. By 1890, he had moved to Los Angeles and was soon living at 2302 South Flower Street with his wife and son and daughter. In 1902, Dr. Jones and his wife suffered the worst kind of loss. That of their 24-year-old son, who was away at school in Michigan, had drowned tragically when his canoe tipped over in a lake. The loss seemingly shocked the family, who appeared to need a fresh start after the tragedy, and moved away from Flower Street. By 1908, Dr. Jones and his family had settled into their new estate, where they hosted events and remained respected members of society. Dr. Jones made many modern upgrades to the property, including the addition of plumbing throughout the home. 
Sadly, Dr. Jones did not get to enjoy his new home for long. In 1916, Dr. Jones passed away in his residence from a long illness. It was during the late 1910s that many of the white upper middle class were moving west to Beverly Hills and Bel Air, allowing for some of the wealthier and upper middle class black and African American communities of Los Angeles to move into this neighborhood. Following the death of Dr. Jones, the next owners of the property were William and Serena Orena de Coke. William Ignatius Coke married Serena Orena de la Guerra in 1894. The couple moved into 2101 one Gramercy Place in the early 1920s, and it remained their family home for over 20 years, occasionally renting out the property. Serena was from a noted early family in Santa Barbara. Coke managed Mexican and Central American coffee and timber interests, and following his death, his wife became a noted philanthropist for Mexican-American endeavors. Serena died in July 1943 while on a visit to Mexico. The estate was sold again in 1945, and the next owner was Dr. Frederick Roman, a noted educator from Ohio with an impressive resume. However, Dr. Roman, just like Dr. Jones, did not get to enjoy his residence for long. In 1948, Dr. Roman died at the Hollywood Presbyterian Hospital after a two-day illness. Between the 1950s and 1960s, the home was frequently rented out. The 1960s were a vibrant yet tumultuous time in the city of Los Angeles, including a period of racial tensions, as seen with the Watts Rebellion in 1965, and as well as other societal and cultural changes and music and free love movements. During this time, the area became a favorite place among black celebrities, including Little Richard, Lionel Hampton, and Ray Charles. In 1961, the development of the Santa Monica Highway started, which destroyed a portion of the West Adams District. During the early days of the Interstate Highway Act construction, which was established in 1956, interstate highway rights-of-way were disproportionately routed through predominantly African-American communities. The disruption ultimately caused the substantial displacement of residents and steep declines in neighborhood viability around this time, and this wasn't just happening in Los Angeles. Marvin Penske Jr. was born in Washington, D.C. on April 2, 1939. Marvin was the second oldest of four children to Marvin Gay Sr., a Pentecostal minister, and Alberta Cooper, a schoolteacher. Marvin had two sisters, Janine and Ziola, and one brother, Frankie. He also had two half-brothers. One was his mother's son from a previous relationship, and another was born to his father's extramarital affairs. Marvin and his family were part of the Pentecostal church known as the House of God that took its teachings from Hebrew Pentecostalism, advocated strict conduct, and adhered to both the Old and New Testaments. Marvin started singing in church when he was four years old, with his father often accompanying him on piano. Marvin began to take singing much more seriously in junior high, joining and becoming a singing star with the Glee Club. In high school, he joined several doo-wop groups. Marvin excelled at singing and performing and was notably talented. While he was getting noticed for his talents, his home life was troubled. Life at home consisted of brutal whippings by his father, who was easily angered and struck him for any shortcomings. Marvin's relationship with his father worsened during his teenage years, as they would often fight, resulting in him getting kicked out of the house. The relationship between father and son would never get any better. 
1956, when he was just 17, Gay dropped out of high school and enlisted in the United States Air Force as a basic airman. Disappointed in having to perform menial tasks, he faked mental illness and was discharged shortly afterward, issued a general discharge from the service. It appeared Marvin joined the Air Force to get away from his father, rather than for a career. After returning home, Marvin and a good friend, Reese Palmer, formed the vocal quartet The Marquis. It was during this period that Marvin began composing music. In 1960s, The Marquis disbanded. It was also in 1960 when Marvin first met Anna Ruby Gordy, 17 years his senior, while Marvin was a staff drummer for the label Anna Records. During this time, Marvin was signed to various record labels and pursued a career as a performer of jazz music and standards, having no desire to become an R&B or Motown performer. Before the release of his first single, Marvin started spelling his surname with an added E in the same way as Sam Cooke. There are theories that Marvin did this to silence rumors of his sexuality and to put even more distance between himself and his father. The rest of the family maintains the original spelling. Marvin's initial recordings failed commercially, and he spent most of 1961 performing session work as a drummer for various artists. The following year saw his first solo success, and he started making chart-topping appearances. He married Anna on June 8, 1963, in Chicago. In those early years, his relationship with his wife inspired him, often writing songs dedicated to her, including his 1963 top-ten hit, Pride and Joy. She continued to be his music's primary source of inspiration throughout the 1960s. While his music career began to take off during this period, his personal and private life were highly volatile. Anna was reportedly verbally and physically abusive towards Marvin, and he began to have trouble with drug use and with his finances. In 1964, Marvin recorded a successful duet with the singer Mary Wells titled Together, which reached number 42 on the pop album chart. Marvin's subsequent solo success, How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You, reached number 6 on the Hot 100. In 1964, he started getting television exposure on shows such as American Bandstand. In 1965, he released two number one R&B singles. Marvin began working with Tammy Terrell on a series of duets, including Ain't No Mountain High Enough, Your Precious Love, Ain't Nothing Like the Real Thing, and You're All I Need to Get By. In October 1967, Tammy collapsed in Marvin's arms during a performance in Farmville, Virginia. Doctors quickly discovered she had a malignant brain tumor. The diagnosis ended Tammy's career as a live performer, though she continued to record music under careful supervision. Marvin was reportedly devastated by her sickness and became disillusioned with the record business. In the late 1960s, rumors of infidelity were deeply souring his marriage. His troubled marriage would directly influence Marvin's 1968 number one hit, I Heard It Through the Grapevine. He followed it up with two other songs that reached top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1969. 1969 was also the first time Marvin Gaye attempted suicide. Despondent from his failing marriage, he sought to shoot himself with a handgun, but he was talked out of it by a family friend. On March 16, 1970, Tammy Terrell died from brain cancer. Marvin attended her funeral and blamed himself for her illness and death, despite the contrary. 
His grief and his devastation over her death seemed to fuel his increasing cocaine addiction. Marvin first tried cocaine in the early 1960s, but by the late 1970s, he had developed a severe dependence and addiction to the drug. He also began using PCP. Also by the turn of the 1970s, Marvin began to counter his wife's abuse. In the winter of 1973, he filed for legal separation from Anna. By this time, Marvin and his parents had relocated to Los Angeles. Marvin Gaye purchased the Tudor-style mansion for $30,000. By this time, the home had been repainted, the stucco was now light green, and the half-timbering and red brick painted white. But Marvin didn't live there long. Due to issues with drugs and a dire financial situation, he wound up having to quit claim the property to his parents just a year and a half later. Marvin met 17-year-old Janice Hunter in March 1973 while working on his Let's Get It On album. On September 4, 1974, the couple welcomed their firstborn daughter, Nona, in Los Angeles. Son Frankie Christian followed a year later on November 16, 1975. By this time, Marvin's parents were living at the estate on South Gramercy while he rented out various apartments throughout Hollywood and Los Angeles. Marvin's parents did not have a happy and harmonious household. Marvin Gaye Sr. continued his violent outbursts and clashes with his wife, son, and other family members. There was domestic and drug and alcohol abuse within the home, and there were reports that Marvin Gaye Sr. often cross-dressed. In November 1975, Anna filed for divorce and finalized it on May 4, 1977. Marvin Gaye married Janice in October 1977. The couple maintained an open marriage, but domestic abuse and the couple's drug dependence became too disastrous, and Janice filed for legal separation in 1979, and they divorced in 1981. In 1979, while in Maui, Marvin attempted suicide in another attempt by trying to ingest a full ounce of cocaine, but again he was deterred. In the early 1980s, Marvin was briefly sober after moving to Belgium, seeking tax exile, but relapsed when he returned to the United States in October 1982. 1982 was also a comeback period for Marvin after his personal and financial troubles. That year, he released his biggest hit, Sexual Healing, which reached number one on Billboard's Hot R&B Singles chart, staying at the top spot for 10 weeks. Unfortunately, his addictions led to increasing paranoia and depression, which became apparent during this time. During his sexual healing tour promotion, he wore a bulletproof vest and brought along bodyguards with loaded pistols because he feared for his life as he was convinced that someone was plotting to kill him. In August 1983, returning home from his world tour, he moved back into 2101 Gramercy Place to help his mother. For the next six months, the father and son struggled to keep their distance from one another in that house. During one quarrel, Marvin Gaye Sr. called the police to have his son leave the property. On Christmas Day, 1983, Marvin gave his father a Smith & Wesson 38 special pistol so he could protect himself from intruders. By this point, close friends and family members contended that the younger Marvin Gaye was often suicidal and paranoid and, by now, was afraid of leaving his room and spoke of little besides suicide and death. In late March 1984, Marvin's parents had various arguments, primarily over a missing insurance policy letter. 
On Saturday, March 31st, the argument spread into Marvin's bedroom. He was angered by his father confronting his mother, and Marvin commanded his father to leave her alone. Marvin Sr. complied without incident, and there was no violence that evening. But Marvin Sr. continued yelling throughout the house. At approximately 12.30 p.m. local time on April 1st, an impatient Marvin Sr. shouted at his wife again about the misplaced document. Marvin Jr., dressed in a maroon robe, shouted back downstairs, telling his father that if he had something to say, he should do it in person. When Marvin Sr. refused his son's request, Marvin warned him not to come into his room. Marvin Sr. instead charged upstairs to the bedroom and verbally attacked his wife over the document. His shouting caused Marvin to jump out of his bed and again order his father out of the room. When ordering did not work, Marvin, enraged, reportedly shoved his father out out of the room into the hallway and began kicking and punching him. Alberta tried to intervene, shouting for him to stop, but he paid no attention to his mother. According to his mother, Marvin reportedly followed his father to their bedroom and continued kicking him brutally. Eventually, the two men were separated and Marvin returned to his bedroom. A few minutes later, at 12.38 p.m., Marvin Sr. entered his bedroom again, returning with the 38 pistol his son had brought him for Christmas, pointed it at Marvin, and shot him directly in the heart. Marvin Sr. didn't say anything. He just pointed the gun at his son and shot him. Marvin screamed and slid down to the floor after the first shot. That first shot proved to be fatal and entered the right side of Marvin's chest, perforating his right lung, heart, diaphragm, liver, stomach, and kidney before coming to a rest against his left flank. His father stepped closer after the first shot and shot him a second time at point-blank range. But recently, forensic investigators countered the official story given by Alberta and Marvin Sr. It may have been that Marvin was initially shot in the left shoulder by his father while the two men were standing approximately two feet apart while facing each other. It appeared that this first shot penetrated the left shoulder just below the clavicle and exited his back without causing any serious injury, the impact of which caused Marvin to fall. It was then that the fatal shot in the chest, which had a very damaging and odd trajectory, traveled diagonally down through the lung, heart, diaphragm, liver, and kidney, finally embedding itself on the left side of the torso. It appears that the direction of the bullet's trajectory suggests Marvin was positioned towards his father and that he was likely to have been moving away at the time. During the commotion, Alberta screamed and ran out of the bedroom, pleading for her husband not to shoot her. In the meantime, Marvin's brother Frankie and his sister-in-law Irene heard the shots. They lived in the guest house on the property. They rushed out and saw Alberta, who ran into Irene's arms shouting, He shot Marvin! He's killed my boy! Frankie ran to the house and carefully walked into the hallway to his brother's room, not knowing if his father still had the gun, whether he was still in the room, or if his brother was dead. After walking into Marvin's bedroom, Frankie held his brother as he bled out. Frankie alleges that Marvin, barely speaking above a whisper, told him, I got what I wanted. I couldn't do it myself, so I had him do it. It's good. I ran my race. There's no more left in me. The police arrived 20 minutes after the shooting. Irene went to Marvin Sr. in his bedroom and asked him where the gun was. After searching over his bedroom, Irene located it under his pillow. Upon exiting the house, Irene dropped the gun on the lawn. Immediately following this, Marvin Sr., who had now taken a seat on the front porch, was arrested. Marvin's body was taken out of the house and sent to the California Hospital Medical Center. 
at approximately 1.01 p.m., Marvin Gaye was pronounced dead on arrival. It was the day before his 45th birthday. An autopsy was conducted on Marvin's body shortly after his death, suggesting both cocaine and PCP elements were in his system at the time he died. However, lawyers misread the coroner's report and there was only cocaine in his system. Marvin's father contended that he was scared that something would happen to him and that he only meant to shoot in self-defense, claiming he thought they were either blanks or BBs. Upon being told that his son had died from the shots, Marvin Sr. reportedly wept and sobbed after realizing he had killed him. Marvin Sr. was held at the Los Angeles County Jail on a $100,000 bail. Marvin's siblings believed that his death was a premeditated suicide. Janine later said that upon forcing his father's hand in the murder, that he had accomplished three things. First, he put himself out of his misery. He relieved their mother by finally getting her husband out of her life, and he punished his father by making sure the rest of his life would be miserable. She stated that her brother knew just what he was doing. Many of Marvin's friends and peers were initially shocked to learn of his death because it was so sudden. Many did not initially believe the news because it was April Fool's Day, associated with jokes and hoaxes, and the media often taking part. On April 5th, 1984, a funeral was held for Marvin at Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Glendale. Marvin Gaye did not have a will, so his son, Marvin III, who was aged 17 at the time, became co-administrator of his estate. At the time of his death, he was financially struggling. The IRS had asked for $1 million to pay back unpaid taxes of $600,000 to the state of California and back alimony of $300,000 to his ex-wives. He was nearly $2 million in debt at the time of his death but royalties from Marvin's work eventually paid off those debts. Shortly following the arrest, doctors discovered that Marvin Sr. had a benign tumor at the base of his brain during a checkup at the County USC Medical Center. Doctors removed the tumor on May 17, 1984. Two psychiatric evaluations were conducted after reviewing a two-page report, and Marvin Sr. was found competent to stand trial. Alberta posted the now-reduced bail of $30,000 through a bondsman to secure his release from jail because she still empathized with him and did didn't believe he should suffer any longer. Two days earlier, she had filed for divorce from her husband of 49 years, citing that she officially separated from him following their son's fatal shooting on that same day. Looking over documents, the amount of drugs in Marvin's system, and the picture of Marvin Sr.'s injuries during his final fight with his son, George Ronald M. George agreed to grant Marvin Sr. a plea bargain. As a result, he pleaded no contest to a voluntary manslaughter charge on September 20th, 1984. On November 2nd, Judge Gordon Ringer sentenced Marvin Sr. to a six-year suspended sentence and five years of probation. He was also prohibited from owning any firearms or drinking alcohol for the remainder of his life. Marvin Sr. and Alberta continued to own the residence at 2101 Gramercy Place until their deaths. Alberta struggled with bone cancer for the remainder of her life, was taken care of by her daughter at her Burbank home. In 1986, Alberta found at the Marvin P. Gay Jr. Memorial Foundation in dedication to her son to help people with drug and alcohol problems and based it out of the home. She died on May 8, 1987 at St. Joseph Medical Center in Burbank, California before the memorial opened. Marvin Sr. eventually returned briefly to the Gramercy Place residence, but health issues forced him to move out to a nursing home around 1986. He died of pneumonia on October 10, 1998, 
nine days after his 84th birthday. Today, the house is privately owned and has been since the mid-1990s. It was renovated and looks remarkably similar to how it was initially built than to how it looked in Marvin Gaye's time. But the house does need a little work. The wrought iron gate surrounding the property needs replacement, as does the roof. Bushes and shrubs are overgrown and are around the dwelling and on the roof lines. The details of what happened on April 1st, 1984, are evident, and the world lost an enormous talent and soul who will never be replaced. We will never forget Marvin Gaye for his voice or his tragic end. Thank you for listening to Nightmare Houses. For more information, including photos and references, please visit www.nightmarehouses.com. Until next time, goodbye.